Hello and welcome to Dinner Table Politics. It's me, Abby. Yes, it is. And it's me, Jim. And we just this weekend saw the debut of the new Star Wars movie, Solo, A Star Wars Story. That we did. Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed it a lot. I did. I, I did too. I didn't expect Mostly to because uh, my favorite person in the world, Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino, a.k.a. Lando Calrissian was in it. So I got to just stare at his face for multiple minutes. A.K.A. Childish Gambino? That's his rap name. How did he get his rap name? Uh, actually, an online name generator from like, oh. the Wu-Tang Clan, another rap group. But that's a, that's a whole other story. That's a whole other story. Well, I was reluctant to go and see it because I really didn't like The Last Jedi. And apparently I'm not alone because the movie is is underperforming. They initially thought it would make between 150 to 170 million, then they downplayed that, and now it's going to be lucky to break 100 million. And everybody is offering excuses for why that's the case. But Jim, what does this have to do with politics? Well, it has to do with the fact that many people are blaming politics. If you search the geeky web boards that I kind of live on, uh, you find things like this. This is from a guy named Eric E. Bennett. I don't think I'm related to him. He spells Eric with a K, so how could we possibly be related to him? Yeah, that's weird. Uh, But he says, I think... Sorry to all Eric's with a K. It's it's witty banter. We don't really mean it. That's that's correct. Well, he says, I think the real reason for low sales is the fans do not like the way the franchise is being run. Kathleen Kennedy is killing Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars is about fantasy that takes you away from reality. Leave that social justice warrior stuff in the realm of reality. Listen to the fans and try to understand what they are saying. So they're thinking that Star Wars has sort of been hijacked for a political agenda, and that's the reason people are staying away. Do you? Do you I don't think that's true. I think a couple racists on the internet does not like a, a majority make. I, I don't. Do you think, think it's, you think it's racial? I think that that the whole social justice warrior call out thing that people do on the internet when they're like, oh, SJWs, blah, 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 blah. they're generally not the most open-minded of people. Well, I think that's probably true. And my problem with Star Wars, the new Star Wars, really doesn't have anything to do with politics. I mean, people complain, for instance, that there are too many women now. The women are running the show and the men are taking a back seat. I've got no problem with the women running the show. I have a problem with the fact that the stories kind of stink, at least with The Last Jedi. I thought what they did to Luke Skywalker and how they just sort of, I don't know, if offended longtime fans like me, you're rolling your eyes about as hard as I don't as know. Can. This just doesn't seem to be very wide-reaching. People definitely got upset, but most people were just like, meh. Well, but what's interesting is that people aren't talking. The, the official people, you're seeing in all these comment sections all kinds of political conversations, but you're not seeing it from the official outlets. They're saying, oh, it's just Star Wars fatigue. People are just tired of Star Wars, and we just had Last Jedi five months ago. And the problem with that is Black Panther was still in movie theaters when Infinity War came out. We weren't having Marvel Comics fatigue. If the movies are good, people will go see them. The sad thing about it, though, is I think Solo is a really good movie. And I think people are staying away from it because of Last Jedi backlash. And I hope people actually find out that it's a good movie and decide to go. 
But you're not interested in this at all. Well, I just don't think that this is a, a story. I think a movie doing badly doesn't have to reflect on the state of the nation. Well, okay, so let's talk about things that reflect on the state of the nation. Okay. Uh, President Trump says we are in an opioid crisis. He said that a while ago, didn't he? He did. Uh, he, he said, this is actually from March, but he says, whether you are a dealer or doctor or trafficker or a manufacturer, if you break the law and illegally peddle these deadly poisons, we will find you, we will arrest you, and we will hold you accountable. I heard that actually true that he was talking about the death penalty for dealers. For so, well, he but he says doctors as well or manufacturers. Uh, are we going to get the death penalty for doctors that prescribe opioids? Well, he he says a lot of things that don't happen, so I don't think it would ever actually happen. But I think it's good that we're finally recognizing. Oh, this is a huge, enormous problem, and we need to take steps because he declared it a national crisis, but nobody really knows. What the heck that means? Well, so people are taking steps independent of President Trump. You know, he's he's does say a lot of things and then doesn't follow through. But there are a whole bunch of uh, uh, municipalities and states that have filed lawsuits. It's a, a good word. Municipalities. Municipalities. You like that word? Rolls off the tongue. It, it actually doesn't. It sort of stumbles off the tongue. Well, agree, disagree. <laughs> well, apparently, a federal judge is pushing for a settlement in these opioid lawsuits, and the first trial is scheduled to take place in March of 2019. So I, this this looks very much to me like the uh, legal framework that took down the tobacco companies. Well, they didn't take them down, but you know, for years and years when I was growing up, tobacco... The death of Joe Camel, as it were. The death of Joe Camel, as it were. Uh, but people are, are treating opioids the same way, and I think these lawsuits are very likely to... to uh, to press for something where we're going to see some significant reforms here. And I think it's likely that this will also increase the demand for medical marijuana. I think that's great. There were like something like, I'm looking it up, 63 overdose deaths in 2016, 42,000 of those involved in opioid, like... 63,000, you mean, or 63, period? 63,000 deaths, oh, okay. 42,000 involved in opioid Overdose deaths. And how many overdose deaths, deaths involved in marijuana? Um, zero. I think it's zero. Yeah, people don't overdose on marijuana. People, sometimes they're like, oh, you can get stoned and get in a car accident while you're driving. But I don't think that's the same thing. Well, it, it isn't the same thing. It's a, it's a real cha challenge and a problem. But what's interesting to me, when I was running for Congress, uh, I was amazed at how many people asked me for my stand on medicinal marijuana. I had never really thought about it prior to running for Congress. And what's, what's frustrating to me, it, it isn't necessarily that I'm opposed to medicinal marijuana or even recreational marijuana so much as I'm opposed to states uh, deliberately defying the federal government. Every state that has legalized medical marijuana or recreational marijuana is doing so in defiance of federal law. Now, the feds don't seem to care very much, although Jeff Sessions is threatening to crack down on that. But if we're is going... Is he still in? He is still in. I'm getting, I'm getting losing track of everyone who's in and out. It's, like, it's like a reality show. That's right. It's well, like Survivor. Well, Jimmy Fallon had Dr. Evil on the other day and said that he'd just been fired by the Trump administration. Mm, that's... So, it probably would have been funnier if I'd seen it and not just had you describe it to me. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's probably true. But 
the whole issue of medicinal marijuana is is such that if we're going to use marijuana medically, it needs to go through the same process as any other kind of medicine, doesn't it? Well, at the same time, opioids are killing thousands of people. They're they're legal heroin, basically, and they're they're legal. That's the crazy part. So if those are legal, then why the heck not try something else that could help and be less dangerous? Well, I, I agree with you, but there's a process to do that. I mean, the process is you take marijuana off of Schedule 1 so that we can start doing FDA trials. Because all the information we have on marijuana, I mean, you have lots of people talking about anecdotal evidence that it does a lot of great things. But it needs to go through the FDA approval process, just like everything else. All the opioids did. They went through the FDA approval process, and they were used. Uh, you know, I've taken opioids when I broke my arm. You know that story. Yeah, that's not really a great in favor of opioids story. No, well, you know, I, my, my, your mother is a physical therapist, and she was my physical therapist after I broke my arm, and she said I was the worst patient she ever had. Yes, never mix business and family. Never mix business and family. But uh, I was taking Vicodin. I was prescribed Vicodin, and I, and I said to her, when should I stop taking this? And she started giving me this big lecture about, oh, you need to stay on top of your pain. And I said, pain? I haven't had pain for a long time. I just like the way they make me feel. And that's funny. That's funny to us, but for some people, that's actually a huge issue. People, it, well, people, it is Utah, especially. I think we're fourth in the nation for for opioid deaths. Like it's no. Well, it's it, it's it's funny, but it's only funny because I stopped taking them. Right. Uh, if she hadn't said to me right then, "You need to stop taking these. You're in danger of becoming seriously addicted." Uh, I may have become seriously addicted. As it stands, I'm I'm okay. But uh, we, we look at that and we see the problems that come from having opioid addictions uh, preventing us from, I think, exploring other options with medical marijuana. So we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about whether or not there's going to be a summit in North Korea Ooh. or South Korea. Actually, Singapore is where they're talking about having it. But we'll talk about that in just a minute. Now, that was a good ad. Yeah, you think so? I don't know what it was, but I, I I'm sure it was great. Yeah, they added afterwards, but uh, I'm sure it was wonderful. So uh, the North Korean summit, we talked about that last week. It was on last week, and then in the middle of this week, it was off. And now it looks as if it's back on again. They're talking about June 12th in Singapore. They can't keep dragging us around. They're just... <laughs> Will it happen? Will it not happen? Well... The frustrating thing for me when I first heard that there was going to be a summit is that it just kind It doesn't make sense because it's not really on a mountaintop. How come they use the word summit when it's... Well, you know, Kim Jong-un was born on a mountaintop with a rainbow in the background. And, was he really? Well, you, you read the official North Korean biography. That's really lovely, actually. There, there, there's lots of That's lovely... It's cool that they timed it, like... To perfectly, like I bet his mom was in labor, and they're like, "No, no, no, keep it in." Like the rainbow hasn't come out yet. Yeah, I'm sure that's what happened. I'm absolutely sure that's what happened. Uh, but you have those same kinds of mythologies around both the also the birth of Kim Il Sung and uh, Kim Jong Il, his grandfather and father, respectively. But the thing that frustrated me when I first heard that there was going to be a summit is it just sounded like uh, President Trump pulled that out of the ether. And when there was a summit growing up between the Soviet Union and the United States, all of the dipl diplomatic work for the summit had been done prior to the summit taking place. 
Hmm. So, so the summit was just kind of window dressing, right? So they just show up and they already had agreements in place, so there wasn't going to be a huge failure. The they just came and ate some snacks and called it a day. That's exactly right. I bet the snacks at summits are like top notch. Oh, I bet they are. I bet they are. I, and, and I hear that Kim Jong Un actually speaks good enough English that they wouldn't need a translator. Really? If they had, he he studied in. Um, oh crud! I've just forgotten. But he studied out of North Korea, and he's he's fairly well educated, and I think he speaks English. I, I'm not sure if Donald Trump speaks Korean. What do you think? <laughs> I, I I say I can say That's the, all the Korean I learned. What does that mean? It means I am the fattest man in the world. You, that's the only sentence you know how to say in multiple languages. Well, that's correct. I was a bank teller in Koreatown in Los Angeles while I was going to USC. Did that come in handy a lot when well, you were helping people with their money? Yeah, well, I, I, I learned how to say it in Spanish. Soy el hombre más gordo del mundo. And uh, I was the only white guy working at this branch. And so I had all these international people with speak sp- multiple languages, and that was the phrase I asked them all to teach me. So my supervisor was one he... Good um, use of time. It was, right it was delightful. It was wonderful. But, but uh, with North Korea and the summit, uh, everybody's hoping that we can have a denuclearized North Korea as a result of this summit. And... That needs to be in place. What was it this. that just they happened that they were like, we blew up all of our testing stuff? You know, they just talked about in North Korea how like they invited like international reporters in and then exploded some things and said that it was like their nuclear testing zone. Well, that was a smart move, yeah, because they're saying they're not testing their weapons anymore, but that doesn't mean they're not going to use them or they don't have them. But uh, then what did they explode? They were- I think they exploded some testing sites. Okay. So, you know, here in Utah, we have a huge, massive testing site where we blow things up all the time. So blowing stuff up is a time-honored tradition. Did you know that, you know how in Spongebob, the name of it, like his town is Bikini Bottom? It's because there was like, that was like the name of an island that they exploded a nuclear bomb on, like back in like World War II or something. So it's like that it all happened because of like, like radiation SpongeBob's friends became a thing. Oh, well, good. Well, is that going to come up at the summit, do you think? Yeah, everybody write that down also. That's the most important thing you'll learn from today's podcast. Well, what's been interesting? You're welcome for the SpongeBob trivia. This is good. See, see, you, you, you think there's no story with Solo, but you want to talk about SpongeBob. SpongeBob, is, do you think there's more political significance in oh, SpongeBob def- than Solo? definitely. I don't even want to get into that. It might get heated. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll leave it alone then. But... Uh, the, the the North Korean and the South Korean president had an, a sort of emergency meeting, and they're trying to iron all this out. Was Dennis Rodman there? I'm not sure if Dennis Rodman was there. He should definitely be there. She, he should be part of the summit? Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm encouraged that things are happening behind the scenes that when we eventually do have a summit, and I think we probably will have one, uh, that things will be ironed out to the point where they can just enjoy the snacks and also approve the deals that they've made beforehand. That's the only way a summit's going to work. And so, you know, President Moon of South Korea says this means that Donald Trump should get the Nobel Peace Prize. And uh, that kind of fell off this last week when it looked like the summit was canceled. But President Trump is a whole lot more popular now than I thought he would be at this point in his term. Democrats have been salivating about taking over the House of Representatives in the midterms. And historically, 
The party out of power usually does very well in the midterm elections, and it looked like it was a slam dunk that the Republicans were going to take over that. I'm sorry, the Democrats would take over the House, and it doesn't look like a slam dunk anymore. It looks like the Republicans looks are, like a layup. Well, basketball. Yes, I understand. Yes, well, uh, there's absolutely no way the Democrats are going to be able to take the Senate back. They're de- they're defending 29 seats. There's just absolutely no way. So the Republicans are going to keep the Senate. Wait, then no, 29 seats. Yeah, a third of the Senate is up every every two years. Oh, okay. Because the Senate senators have six year terms. Right, right, right. And this year, it's just the way it 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 uh, panned out. Every every like little branch of the government has different rules and like different numbers and different years. Blah blah. blah. It's freaking hard to keep track of. And I think the founding fathers should have thought of that. No, I agree. It's annoying. I understand. I understand. Well, I'm not sure if the founding fathers could have anticipated Donald Trump. And as we look at what's going on in the midterm elections, uh, it may very well be that not only does Donald Trump survive the midterms, uh, but Donald Trump could very well be reelected, which just stuns me because when he won, everybody just thought there's no possible way, first of all, that he could cer- he could finish out his term, let alone be reelected. But I say, like, it's it, this is all conjecture. Like, don't count your eggs before they're hatched. So much could change still. Well, yeah, but in order for Donald Trump to lose, somebody has to run against him. You can't beat somebody with nobody. A hero right. will rise. Okay, well, who's your hero that you want to rise? Uh, ideally, Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino, a.k.a. Lando Calrissian. But more realistically, I don't know. Okay. Well, Kanye West says he's going to run. In 2020. He? He's not... 2020. There you go. That's... That's... No, 2024, I mean. Sorry. Oh, he's going to wait for Trump to finish out? Yeah. Well, uh, the, the Democrats don't seem to have anybody at the moment. And Repu- Well, they don't... It's They have time. It's okay. And they're probably not talking directly to you about it. There's probably <laughs> talks about things going on How do you know they're there. not talking directly to me about it? I just it? have a hunch. Yeah, you're right. But uh, you look at the elections coming up and the fact that the Democrats don't have anybody, the Democrats as a party are largely leaderless. And even the Republicans, you know, you have the never Trump Republicans who are now flailing because Trump is popular. And Glenn Beck, who's not my biggest, I'm not a big Glenn Beck fan, but Glenn Beck uh, who was an apocalyptic prophet of doom who decided... I wish you wouldn't... This, is, this podcast is a safe place. I wish you wouldn't mention his name here. Okay. Well, he's now a Trump fan. He came out and told all his supporters that he thinks Trump's record is wonderful. Truly and, shocking. Well, he had to sell his private jet. And Truly shocking. Because all of the people who were following him had, uh, had lost faith in him. And, you know... I, I still can't forgive Glenn Beck for what he did during the 2010 campaign when he he went on the radio and he talked about my father, your grandfather. Yes, yes. He's a scumbag. We all know. Well, he went on there and he said, I, I've looked Bob Bennett in the eye. Bob Bennett looked me in the eye and he told me that this guy was not going to be a problem. Although, to be fair, Bob Bennett is a common name. He might have been talking about a different <laughs> Bob Bennett. Yeah, he might have been when he was interviewing Mike Lee, who was running against Bob Bennett. Uh, it, it, he'd never met Bob Bennett. I remember listening to that and going to Dad and saying, Dad, have you ever met Glenn Beck? And he says, I wouldn't know him if I saw him on the street. I've never talked to him. I've never met him. And I thought, if he's willing to make something like that up, 
the idea, you know, he's willing to make anything up. And to Glenn Beck's credit, he was anti-Donald Trump for uh, until, you know, he had to sell his private jet. Now, all of a sudden, he's getting on board. So I look at it and say, geez, we're in a very strange place politically. So it's up to your generation to save us. How are you going to do that? Well, promise us free weed and we'll be there. <laughs> well, Just kidding. Well, we'll have only, to... Only do things legally, kids. Yes. Yes, absolutely. We are all about legality here at Dinner Table Politics. Love legality. So we will leave it at that. This is Jim Bennett. This is Abby Bennett. We'll talk to you next week. Peace out.